I guess I was about nine years old or so, and school had just gotten out. I was looking forward to a summer of mountain biking, tire swinging into lakes, and hearing the sound of the ice cream truck as I traded a quarter for a delicious ice cream cone. But as my friends and I assembled for our first summer adventure, I noticed that all of them had gotten cool pairs of sandals to wear, and I wanted a pair too. Luckily, my parents generously obliged when my birthday rolled around, and I was elated. There was no separating me from my sandals. It was pouring rain the next day, and I wore those sandals. I was trekking through a muddy path the day after that, and I wore those sandals. And yes, even at nighttime, as I hopped into bed, I wore those sandals. There was simply no getting them off me until 10:40 a.m. that Sunday. I was sitting in the car in my Sunday best, ready to head off to church. When I heard those three words that mean you are in big trouble, Jonathan William Fuse, my mother continued, "You do not wear sandals to church. It's against the rules. Go back inside and put your dress shoes on." Now this was so long ago. Who can remember if there was whining and wailing and accusations of my parents hating me? But nevertheless, I went inside and put on my dress shoes, and we were off to church. The opening hymn began to play, and down the aisle processed a visiting Franciscan priest. And wouldn't you know, Father Peter was wearing sandals. Well, a huge and involuntary grin overtook my face as I looked up at my mom. And she looked back at me with a look that oh so clearly said, "Be quiet." <laughs> Needless to say, that next Sunday, I got to wear my sandals to church. Rules—that's what our readings this morning seem to be all about. In our first lesson, we hear the infamous story of the fall of humanity. How Adam and Eve were living in paradise until they ate the fruit which they were not supposed to eat, and how God subsequently curses the serpent, Adam and Eve. A superficial reading of this passage seems to paint the, a picture of a rather vindictive God, a God who develops a set of rules and punishes those who disobey them. This morning, however. I would offer to you that God's response to them eating that forbidden fruit is less of a wrathful condemnation, but more of an observation that we all know to be true. That when we do not obey the great commandments of God to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our soul, and with all our minds, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. That enmity arises between us and God, an enmity that causes the human family to fracture. It is we who rob ourselves 
of the beauty of an evening breeze sweeping through paradise each time we say no to loving God and each other. Which brings us to the awkward quarrel we seem to have stepped into in today's gospel. With Lent and Easter behind us, we head back to the beginning of Mark's gospel. And in the two and a half chapters which precede today's reading, we see a bizarre crescendo developing. Jesus casts out a demon and all were amazed. Christ heals a paralytic and the crowd says, we've never seen anything like this. Jesus cleanses a leper and soon enough, people are coming from every quarter to experience this healing. But then Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners and people are upset. Christ heals a person with a withered hand and people plot how to destroy Jesus. One wonders what this increasing anger is all about. On the surface, it appears to be about Christ breaking God's rules. Healing a leper, one does not go near someone who is unclean. Sharing a meal with tax collectors, one does not dine with occupiers of the Holy Land. Restoring someone's withered hand, no, one does not work on the Sabbath. But when we hear those two great commandments echoing in our hearts to love God and love neighbor, we see that this is not about Christ breaking God's rules. It's about Christ breaking a rule which we have made. The forbiddance of Christ loving the other, the unworthy, the unclean. In those days, loving the leper, the tax collector, the Gentile, those were high crimes. But when we look around our world today, we see even more categories of people we think it's okay not to love. Races, orientations, genders, political affiliations, tribes, people, whom we feel justified not loving. And just like in that garden, we all too easily feel the enmity between us. We look into the eyes of the other, beholding our own fractured humanity, and see an excuse not to love. But Christ, Christ looks into the eyes of the other and sees not broken humanity, but an icon of divinity. People made in the image of God. And in doing so, erases the false dichotomy of a loving God and loving neighbor, because for Christ, to love neighbor is to love God. Once again, we feel that evening breeze of paradise, but this time we call it Beelzebul, because those people, the unclean, the unworthy, we can't love them. It's against our rules. And so we separate ourselves from God, 
we hide ourselves from love. Indeed, this call to love is not from Satan, and Christ quickly clears this up. He looks at those sitting around him, a group of people yearning to feel that evening breeze of paradise, and he extends an invitation to them, an invitation to us. Follow those commandments to love neighbor, to love God, and this enmity will be transformed into family. By seeking out and boldly loving those whom society casts aside, by looking into the eyes of all we meet and taking the time to see the image of God and love them. Christ says, then you will be my brother. You will be my sister. You will be my mother. Humanity restored. And on that great last day, when we feel that evening breeze of paradise for the first time, unlike Adam and Eve, we will have no reason to run away and hide. Because we would have already seen God in the eyes of those we loved. That is a lovely evening breeze.